Welcome back, friends, to the Mark Claire Show. It's another Monday, another great conversation. I've got a returning guest, a very popular guest, a man known as Vin Armani to some, Cyprian to others. But either way, you're going to want to tune in to the full show. You're going to want to hear the extra 30 minutes in the smoke-filled room. To do that, you just got to subscribe to the Mark Claire Show premium feed, which you can access in a ton of different ways now. You can get, you can actually become a member on uh, YouTube directly, so you can see the whole thing on YouTube. You can subscribe directly through Apple Podcasts. These are both new methods I just added in the last few weeks. Uh, and then you have all the, uh, I guess, the traditional methods, we'll call them. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Show. You can go to Subscribestar, Rockfin. I just try to get give you as many options as possible at the end of the day. Yeah, some some get a little more money to me, some get a little less. I want you to do whatever is easiest for you, but you gotta hear the full show. And I know, I'm pretty sure on Subscribestar, for sure at least, you can get yourself a one-week free trial. So you might wanna try that out. Just dive into the content, see what you've been missing, but you're missing one-third of these shows if you're not on the premium feed. And let me tell you, this bonus segment with Cyprian is absolutely wild. You'll hear today, we talk a lot about, not a lot about, we talk entirely about uh, pro wrestling as American mythology. Uh, but at, in the smoke-filled room, we go even deeper on the the psychology of Vince McMahon, especially in regards to all the allegations that have come out recently and in regards to his character that was portray- portrayed on TV for many years. Uh, it's, a, it's one of my favorite smoke-filled rooms ever, so I, I highly encourage you. If there's one you're going to check out just to try, just to dip your toe in, this is the one that I suggest. You can find all the links over at MarkClaire, M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. While you're perusing the internet, don't forget to grab yourself a fine bag of coffee or two from my friend Stephen Fox over at foxandsons.com. Get yourself a little MCS discount, 18% off every single order over $25 and free shipping over $37.99. Check them out at foxandsons.com. My friends, enjoy today's conversation with Cyprian. Welcome back to the Mark Claire Show. With me today, uh, he has been many things. He's been a reality star on Showtime's Gigolos, a very different version of him, I would say. Uh, he is also a software developer and one of the hosts over at the Royal Path Podcast, which I'll say for a religious, probably the least dry religious podcast I've, I've ever heard in my life. Oh, so, uh, Cyprian Vin, welcome back. Hey, how's it going, man? I'm glad Good, to man. be back. Great. It's been a long time. It, feels it has. Like. It has been a while. Yeah. Time flies fast in the in the influencer world. <laughs> I guess does, you could say does, whether whether we want to call it that or not. I think that's where we are. Um, and you know, Vin, uh, the impetus, the initial impetus for this particular conversation was uh, a conversation we were having in a, in, a, in a private group we're in, and uh, it was centered around the deal that just got made with Netflix acquiring not acquiring WWE just for one program. They got an uh, mm-hmm. insane amount of money, um, potentially for up to twenty years. So they're really locking in right. uh, this wrestling program, and the conversation kind of turned to. Um, why they want to acquire that wrestling. Obviously, you were looking for more of a spiritual answer on that. And it kind of led to an interesting conversation. So I want to dive into that. But at first, I'm I just curious. I know you, you kind of talked about wrestling a little bit in that conversation. Were you much of a wrestling fan at all growing up? Oh, I, I mean, I'm a child of the 80s, right? I'm, I'm How could you in not my be? mid-40s. So it was, there was what, what else was there, really? You know what I mean? It's, I mean, those characters were, they were just ubiquitous. It was it was just a part of the soup that we were swimming in, really. So so yeah, of course. Were you as into it? Did you ever go to live events or anything like that, or was it just something that was around like it was for all of us at the um, time? You know, I never went to any live events, but I was raised in San Bernardino, California, which that San Bernardino Sports Arena was like when they would come to Southern California. That was generally where they would do a lot of the shows, even WWF uh, in the eighties, and so like all my family members, my uncles and stuff would all go 
Um, I, but I never went, but I, you know, watched it on TV religiously, you know, had the memorabilia and the toys and the dolls and all that stuff, you know, like any, any male and American in the eighties, I guess. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. We were all told to, uh, say our prayers, eat our vitamins and, and whatnot. I mean, <laughs> right. not bad advice, I guess, overall, the vitamins that Mr. Hogan was taking at the time, probably not the ones that, that we would recommend <laughs> overall. Um, so I, you know, you, you, we talked about the reason that Netflix paid so much money and was willing to pay so much money for a wrestling mm-hmm. program. Something that I think, you know, while it's very mainstream, there's still that segment of the population that does somewhat scoff at wrestling, I would say, as a, a very silly mm-hmm. thing. And I'll admit it's a pretty, pretty silly thing, but I like a lot of pretty silly things, so it is what it is. Uh, but And you kind of compared it to Ted Turner's acquisition of WCW in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can start right there. Um, and the reason is it's all pretty much in the same wheelhouse. But what is it about wrestling specifically beyond just the dollars and numbers? Because that's obviously there's a business thing here. But you, you think there is a little deeper reason that wrestling is is so targeted by um, by major players in the media industry? Yeah, I mean, this is a there's there's so much here. Because, you know, I, I would make the argument that wrestling is something like the the regular pageant ceremony or ritual that is kind of the touchstone or the, I don't know what you would call it. It's like the point of consensus for the American civil religion. Civil religion. So America definitely has a civil religion, right? And that, that's the whole say your prayers and eat your vitamins, right? Like that's, that's part of what's happening there. And it's, it's not necessarily that wrestling... It's there, there's, a, there's a feedback loop between the culture and wrestling, but wrestling is this vessel. It's this really wonderful vessel. And I mean, you know, from the, the days of the early promotions, as guys were traveling, it was one of those things where it's a live performance. Guys are traveling around the country. They have to figure out these characters. And it's almost organically, you know, they would travel around and they had to figure out characters that would work in various different locations that they were traveling to doing the different promotions sometimes they would have to change their characters based upon where they were going whether they were in the midwest whether they were in the south you know what that sort of timing was and something happened i guess really the mcmahon's really hit on it but basically that promotion was able to take in and whatever it is it's it's taste it's what you know some producers just have it and it's this just this production of who are the characters? What are the storylines that will both that reflect what's happening in the culture, but then by people absorbing the storylines and coming to consensus on it, then that actually affects the culture, right? So people can scoff at wrestling. And I mean, forget about like, forget about the numbers. The numbers are there because the numbers are just sort of like proof of popularity in a way, right? The numbers just prove the popularity. But look outside of wrestling, right? And then look at, like, who's, if you go over the last, let's say the last 10 years, and you look at the top uh, paid actors in, in America, top paid American actors, which is really top paid actors in the world, right? The Rock is like six of those years. If you really account for, like, George Clooney's tequila sales and things like that, if you, if you take those out, Dwayne Johnson is like six of those years, right? Which is crazy. It's like, okay, you're going to scoff at this, 
But obviously, he's a huge draw at the box office. But it's not just him, right? Because we can go back to 1982. And the biggest box office weekend, right? There were two, like, records were broken of the biggest weekend box office, which is really important in 1982. Because everybody's going to the movies, right? You got, like, five television channels. Okay, so the one that, that ended up the second one that broke the record was E.T. Okay, everybody understands that was huge. It was a phenomenon. Yeah, but what did it break the record of? Well, it was a couple months before. It was Rocky Three, mm-hmm. right? And Rock, so Rocky Three. So at that point, Rocky is like a is a mythological character in the American psyche. We're on the third one, right? Who does he fight at the beginning? Remember, it's Thunderlips. Ho- is that Thunderlips? It's Hogan. Right? Yeah, yeah. They, it's they Hogan. have both Hogan and and Mr. T in this. In the, it's both Mr. the same T. movie, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, three, yeah, so Hogan at first, Mr. T second, and then in 1985, we have arguably the greatest single moment in professional wrestling, right? WrestleMania one. Well, who's the main event? Hogan and Mr. T against Paul Hogan and Orndorff Mr. T and, and a tag team. Roddy Piper. And Roddy Piper, right? So it's like, this is, there's something bigger going on here. To say that, you know, Rocky Three, to say that Clubber Lang's character, to say that Thunder Lips, to say that that narrative didn't affect a generation of Americans, that that wasn't part of the civic religion, you know, Cold War, right? Also 1985. You want to look at how these things happen, right? 1985, you got WrestleMania 1. Then you also have, as any kid of the 80s will remember, the, the cartoon. Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling or whatever it was. The cartoon. Do you remember the cartoon? Absolutely. And it, yep. and it had the faces and the heels, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember which characters it was? There was a... I know Junkyard Dog was in it. Um, he was one Hillbilly of the Jim. Faces. Yeah, Hillbilly Jim. Jim. All the, the ones that are like the most... All the working class characters, essentially. Superfly Snooka. Yep. Tito Santana. Right? Those were the very diverse, guys. very ethnically diverse, actually. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Isn't it? They, they interesting, were woke right? before, before this was even a thing. This is my point. This is what I'm trying to say, right? That it was, and it wasn't like they were trying to do this. This was already what was happening in the promotions. Those were the faces in the pro- popular faces in the promotion at the time, right? But then do you remember who the, who the heels were? I'm trying to think who was on the show. I'm pretty sure Bobby the Brain Heenan was involved. And but then, just he, ba- barely, barely. The heels were the Iron Sheik oh, yeah. from from Iran. You, Iran. Mm-hmm. Nikolai Volkov, Russia. Russia. Mister Fuji, Japan. <laughs> right. Fabulous, fabulous Mula. I don't right? know where she's from. She's just an old lady. But but her character was like. She's definitely, if you were to go, like, she's, she's more of a right-wing, like, rough, kind of, you know, lower working class, whatever. But she's evil, right? And this is, so it's interesting, it was the foreigners versus the Americans. And specifically, Cold War, Iran, and Russia. But the thing was, this was already going on in the promotion. This was already going on within the shows. So people were showing up and being shown this very black and white pageantry about their world. And and these are like 
you think about the nature of wrestling and, and how it translates to like a pagan spectacle, like a pagan ceremony or, or a pagan play where they're showing, you know, the battle of the gods against each other because these guys are huge, right? Massively strong and powerful, doing these crazy moves against each other and nobody dies, right? Usually. And nobody gets hurt, right? It's, well, it's like watching a Marvel movie with the superhero, right? who gets like punched through a wall and then he just like gets up and like shakes himself off. Only you can actually be there in the battle when yes. it's happening. Which is what makes it even more real, right? So the, the narrative that you're experiencing because you're there in front, I mean, the sweat may come onto you of these guys. You know what I mean? You hear the, sl the actual slap against the chest. You hear the slam. You know, you yeah. yell at them, and as you said, they yell back at you. <laughs> I want anybody that calls wrestling fake to go to a wrestling show and sit in the front row. I mean, they're probably not going to spend the money to do that if they're calling it fake, but yeah, that's the challenge. And, and come out and tell me what you just saw was in any way fake. It no, was a performance. It was absolutely a performance, mm -hmm. and it was much of it was pre-planned, although not as much as you might think. A lot of the, the actual like ins and outs of the matches are, are kind of on the fly. But yes, the storylines are planned and whatnot. But man, I mean... A slap to the chest that gets a whole chest red. That's as real as can be. It's a lot more real than what you see in the movies. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, look, people have been crippled and died in the ring. Happens. There's a real, every time they step in there, there's a real chance of death. There's a real chance of death because it's happened. Which you know? unless you're, you know, unless you're working around Alec Baldwin, I mean, it's not really usually the case on a Hollywood set. It's not. It's not. And the other part about it is, it's, you know, it's not scripted. And this is something that I know being on reality TV because people would always ask me, oh, is it scripted? And it's like, well, there's, I've never seen a script. We never had a script. Mm -hmm. It's not scripted, it's staged. And there's a difference between scripting and staging, right? Staging is just like you set up the environment and the overall kind of idea of where does this thing need to go? But these, if you do it right, you don't need to work that hard on the staging because these people are inhabiting their characters. Right? They are this character. And you know that when you put Macho Man Savage in Piper's pit and Piper's all riled up and he's going to say something crazy, you know that something, something's going to go down. Someone's getting hit with a coconut. Exactly. Like, this is, this is what's going to happen, right? And so... It's, it's a totally different thing. And in that way, it does very much reflect the sort of pagan or animistic practices of like, you could go to something like, a, you know, let's say in Africa when they, uh, you know, the African religions that would go into like voodoo or something like that, where they let the loa inhabit them. That's the idea that they become inhabited by a spirit. Or the kachinas in the Hopi right? So people in the American Southwest will know that. But the idea is that once you put on the Kachina outfit, you're no longer you. Hmm. Once you put this on, you come out and, and the tribe doesn't recognize you as you, even though that's, you know, uncle whoever. No, no, no. Everybody really just suspends everything and is like, no, that's the Kachina of thunder. And he moves like the Kachina of thunder. And he's, you know, enacting whatever it is and he's saying whatever it is and everybody takes it as this is the real manifestation of the Kachina of Thunder. In the same way that you do where it's like, oh, this, this guy was wrestling as this character before 
but now he's this completely different character, but oh no, he's that character. Now he's completely that character, and we, we go in for that, and that's what makes the whole thing work. Right, wrestling and is so the participatory unique. aspect. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's a huge part of it. Wrestling is so unique in that sense, in, in terms of the characters, because it's it's the only like form of media that you can have. You can have it go both ways. You can have a guy like be in one character. This used to happen a lot more in the '80s and '90s, where he portrays some you know cartoony character like a plumber or something like that. Then he comes back mm-hmm. two years later and he's a matador or something. You know, he's a totally different. Mm-hmm. He's got a different profession, but we all know it's the same guy, and we all play along and suspend our belief. But I think. In many ways, too, and especially in recent times, maybe this took off more so in the 90s, a lot of the more successful characters are the ones that blur those lines so much that you you totally actually forget this is not a real person because in some ways the real person is leaking in and you can have a situation where a guy is on one show. I mean, this happened in the last year. CM Punk is on AEW playing a character of CM Punk and then he leaves and some real drama happens and then he appears in WWE as the same character, like in a totally different channel on a totally different show, which is unique mm-hmm. to anything else in, in the entertainment realm. Well, that was that started really like you saw that in the 90s, right? With like the NWO and all of that when those guys left. And, I mean, they came back as this. They were wearing a little bit of like different clothes, but they were fundamentally the same characters when they went over to WCW that they were in the w, was it WWE already at that time. That they uh, it wasn't quite WWF. yet. It was still F at the time. It was F. Yeah, so, I mean, they they moved over. But, I mean, I think that there's also, you know, when you get into the era of, you know, Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan. That's that's who he is. And I think that the most successful characters were those ones where the guy really embraced it and is still embracing it to this day. I saw a video of Hulk Hogan in the airport. He's the same right? guy. Like, that was this week. He's on crutches. He can barely walk. And some dude's like heckling him. And he's going, and he's Hogan. He's, he's Hogan, right? He's Hulk Hogan. And he's got a Hulk nose best shirt or something like that on, mm-hmm. right? So he's not walking away from it at all. And he's up there talking like he's in the middle of a show to this guy because he knows he's being filmed, right? But Steve Austin, right? The Rock. I mean, yeah, Dwayne Johnson, but every character he plays is The Rock. As far as Dwayne Johnson goes, it's even more interesting now because he just came back into the scene in wrestling. But now he is actually in real life on on the board of directors replacing essentially Vince McMahon. So now there's this extra sort of layer to the character where this actually is the corporate bad guy in a way. And he's actually Mm -hmm. getting that, that kind of reaction in an intended way, of course. And I mean, they, they, the McMahons were so brilliant in blurring that line, right? Because I mean, Triple H has been doing that for a long time as well, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? But it's, it's just blurring the line and, and something happens. Being, having been a reality star and starting out trying to develop a character, it's weird. It's weird the feedback loop of how this happens, right? With these characters is, you know, I came in sort of being me and then they edited and cut together over the first two seasons, like what they liked of me. And it was sort of like me watching back the character that they had created through editing. Then I was like, oh, I'll just be that character. Which is still you, but it's like this refined version of you that's just taking these certain aspects and playing those aspects, just like in wrestling where someone like Steve Austin, like you mentioned, or CM Punk, those are pretty good examples of someone who you pretty much get the sense that this is who they are in real life, just amped up. Obviously, they're not really that person. Mm -hmm. They're not always given a promo in real life. They probably sit down to dinner like a regular person, but it's pretty much their Mm -hmm. personality. They just crank certain aspects of it to 10. But I will tell you, 
you know, my own experience was, and I think that this was true of my co-stars as well. I know it's true of my co-stars as well, was that, you know, I would, I would, it's a different person. That character is a different person. And when I would be in public, you know, I, there would always be the question of like, what would my character do in this situation? As opposed to what would I do if nobody here knew that I was my character? Do you kind of understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah, if well, I was that in a, almost makes you become more of the character all the time in a, in a way. Exactly. And it, it like reifies and reinforces to the point where <laughs> then, you know, you can get into a sticky situation. And I know this happened to my co-stars, but I think, I think I was able to manage like letting when it was over, letting me sort of reemerge back and not letting this thing take control and take over. And I think that there are some wrestlers where that really did take over forever. And I think those guys, I mean, you know, I've worked with them because he was, he was on our show. But like, you know, I think oh, right. an example of Buff someone Bagwell, who let right? their character, yeah. Buff Bagwell. I'm glad you brought I mean, it up because at- I, I, when I saw you mentioned that, I was like, I got I to gotta get a Buff Bagwell story here. And he, you know, he is Buff Bagwell, the character all the time. And I think if people go and look at like how he presents himself on social media and stuff now, like that's the case. But look, the struggle that he's had with, and he's open about it, like substance abuse and things like that. There was a tragic period there. And I also saw it happen to my co-stars. And it's like, that happens because that you're inhabiting that character. And then you're complete, when you're by yourself, it's like, who am I? You lose yourself identity, but I think you know. In what I've from what I've seen, the person who I think has the best, and I don't know how he's done it, but he's just must be an incredible character. But the person who's been able to sort of like I don't know whether he evolved his character or what to be like the person, or whether he's just been able to maintain some semblance of his own identity seems like the Undertaker, mm. right? Like you see yeah. him in interviews yeah. and things like that, and you're like, oh, this is just a normal guy who <laughs> yeah. understands that he's inhabiting a character when he's when he's in the ring. It's funny you say you that because there was recently this meme going around because he he posted like a selfie, like some lovey-dovey message to his wife at, from the gym, and it was just so so nothing the actual Undertaker would ever say. So it's be and he's kind of given exactly. this smile. So now that's become this meme that people just send around with the Undertaker. But it's it's hilarious because exactly. it is a case where it's like, okay, he's not in character. He's not he's not in character at all. Like <laughs> the opposite. Mm-hmm. And that's and and I think that that's an interesting aspect of it, right? Is that these characters are such, and it's something that would never happen with a movie actor. I guess it maybe could happen with a television actor, but the fact that you are that character and you cannot divorce yourself from that character. That you become that character and you cannot divorce yourself from it. Maybe temporarily, it kind of sounds similar to uh, what Jim Carrey did as, well, speaking of wrestling connection right there, what Jim Carrey did sort of becoming Andy Kaufman. I mean, by all accounts, he was Andy Kaufman for several months. Doesn't matter if they're shooting or not. Now imagine if they imagine if he would have stuck and had to do that every night because they do what three hundred shows a year. So, yeah, and WWE like, they're, they're he, always on the road. Yeah, imagine if he had to do that three hundred days a year. You're spending more time as the character than years. you. And then what? And then where is you? Where have you been these last ten years? I mean, there's so much focus with wrestlers, rightfully so, because like, there's luckily not as much in the last few years. But 10, 15 years ago, there was just a rash of, of wrestler deaths. Many of which oh, yeah. attributed, I'm sure, on the biological sense, totally correctly to drug abuse and this sort of thing. 
But I, yeah, I'm sure yeah. some so much of that is at the spiritual level too, is they may they might actually lose who they actually are in some way when you spend, like you said, 300 days a year. Sometimes they don't see their families on holidays and things like that. And mm-hmm. eventually, like, yeah, maybe you see your wife a few times a year. Who are you then? Like you're a shell mm-hmm. of, of whatever's left of this other character that you, at some point you got to say you really are that other character. Well, the drug and steroid abuse is, I mean, that's part of maintaining the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, that's that's what the character would do. Like, you have to do this to remain as the character. If I you mean, don't, the, if the you world don't champion that, isn't going to be tired and take off, you know, like stop working out because he's he's no. been on the road too long. No, no, you you well, not if you're going to be the world champion. And the thing yeah, is, right. if you're not that person, you don't even make it into the promotion to start with. Mm-hmm. Like, it's self-selected, right? You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it in, onto the actual show, any of the actual shows if you're not already that person who's willing to do that and willing to inhabit the character and willing to work that way, uh, because th- there's, th- there's not time for anybody who doesn't, because there's a, a, you know, a room full of guys waiting to get in who have the talent, right? And who just don't, haven't had a shot. And um, this is, I mean, it's, you know, we're talking about all of this, but it's like, because of the participatory aspect, it's very important that like, these are heroes, right? So it's like someone, a, a young person, or not even a young person, right? A fan is taking it on as like, this is the image of virtue. This is the heroic image. And all of those demons go along with it. Well, speaking of the, on the participatory nature of uh, wrestling, as, as we kind of touched on earlier, it is so unique in, in a way that even though when you are at a live event, and this goes for even if you're watching on TV to a, to a really large extent, but even if you are, um, you know, even if you can suspend your disbelief, like at a sporting event, for example, a regular sporting event, you you know, well, we could talk, that's a whole other conversation about how rigged that stuff is too, but, you know, in theory, you know, these are athletes participating in a real competition and that's what makes it cool. I don't think I've ever experienced that same feeling of, and maybe I'm just not as big of a real sports fan, maybe that's why I've never felt that same feeling of, um, just uh, ecstasy, maybe I is what I can say. I mean, it's, it's a it's a feeling you can't even describe as, as when like a, a a battered and beaten down baby face finally like overcomes the the villains in the in the grandest stage of all. And I've been to actual WrestleManias where you have eighty thousand, a hundred thousand people all participating in that moment together. And I can only describe it as a religious experience. I, I really don't know any other way to describe it because it's something you all experience together. You can talk about it afterwards, but you don't need to because you you know what you just experienced. And I mean, it, it, I've seen it on both ends. I've seen the, the triumph of the hero. And I've also seen, I mean, I was there live when The Undertaker lost his first time at WrestleMania after like 24 years or 22 years. And that was just a collective silence that we all experienced together. In, in a, and that, that's probably a, a moment I'll never be able to fully even describe to regular humans, especially people that don't, don't watch this stuff. But point being, being there live and in person it, it, it's an experience unlike anything else. And I, I, as far as my point of view, including real sports. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's because the, the narrative that's taking place is, is like, it's um, transcendental, right? Sports is not trans, sports has some, there are moments in sports that have that transcendent quality where you feel like you're watching something that's like cinematic, right? Some sort of crazy come down and a last minute buzzer beater, you know? But these things, it's, it's funny because, you know, like 
growing up and playing basketball, it's like, you know, everybody like you're, you're out just shooting around by yourself and you're imagining in your head that buzzer beater moment, you know, the clock, three, two, one. And then it's like, and these are the moments when everything goes in slow-mo and whatnot. But the thing is, professional wrestling, when it's done well, is that it's a constant stream of that for decades at a time. And it's it never constant. ends. <laughs> it, it never, never ends. ends. Well, and that's what makes it transcendent as well, right? Is that everybody knows, well, this is not going to end. This will just keep going and going and going. And there will be different, pl- different people who are doing it and they'll come in and out and everything. But the myth, the myth is eternal. It continues forever. That's the idea behind it. And there's nothing like that. Well, and so much of what WWE plays up constantly, I mean, they drill it into your head nonstop is the history. It's all about the lineage, the lineage of the championships, uh, the lineage of, of the titles, the lineage of the shows, this many appearances at WrestleMania, this many, it's all, and they can't, they just beat you over the head with it constantly and about how great, great all of this is and how, and they also refer to you as the WWE universe. They, it's a very specific, like mm-hmm. we, this is, we are all experienced that this is our thing that we're doing together. Well, you know what the word Catholic means, right? You know, I just heard this the other day, but I forgot already. <laughs> it means universal. Ah, yeah. Right? It means universal. And, and what they're really talking about is they're, they're, what they're introducing you to and drilling into your head is what in religious terms would be called the tradition. It's the tradition of the church. And that's it. Like it's it's a, a Catholic, meaning you universal, all encompassing. Mm. It, so it's it, it can't be thought of as anything other than a religion. Okay, well then if it's a religion, it's like, well, what are we worshiping? And what it is that's being worshipped is the culture, which is a, it's a civic religion, right? So in the same way that the Greek pantheon is a Greek pantheon. The Roman pantheon is a Roman pantheon. It's about Rome. You're worshiping Rome, the existence of Rome. And with Greece, you're, you're worshiping the Greek culture. That's what you were going, I mean, the, you know, the Parthenon, Athens, it's named after Athena, right? You, when you go to worship Athena, you're, she's the patron of the city-state of Athens. Like you're worshiping Athens when you go to the temple of Athena. That you can't separate the two. And the, the United States, the United States and particularly WWE, but I mean, all the wrestling promotions are, you can't, you can't separate them. The modern US and the civic religion that is, and I mean, look, think about, okay, Marvel, right? So with Marvel, you've got um, Batista is a Marvel superhero. Cena is a Marvel superhero. The Rock is a DC superhero. Was. Probably not going to see that happen again, but yeah. Right. We might not see Black (laughs) Adam again. But still. But still. Right? Who, by the way, is a god? Mm -hmm. Right? Black Adam is is an ancient god. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know how much... Pretty on the nose. Pretty on the nose. (laughs) Yeah. How how explicit does it have to be? I'm not... You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, this is... This is what it is. This is what it is. And it's a civic religion. It's happened before. And the thing is, it has to happen with every empire. You have to have it. I, I wonder too, I mean, if, if, if is it almost a feedback loop, loop here when we're talking about professional wrestling in America where this is 
as we discussed earlier, of all these sort of caricatures from the 80s. I mean, it's a reflection of the culture. We're trying to sh- show you the culture. And, and meanwhile, we're we're promoting really the worship of WWE and the WWE universe. But that's really a reflection of you. So it's like the, it's like group self-worship in, in sort of like the largest way possible. And I mean, that's what a civic religion ultimately is, right? That's that's what's going on. I mean, yeah, whether it's uh, the, the national pride the flag, or whatever it may Pledge be, of Allegiance, right? you know what I mean? Black History Month, Pride Month, right? These, but these these aspects that are these explicit civil religions are not as important as the American because you know when they talk about the exporting of American culture, what are they talking about? Right, it's the entertainment. It's the music, the movies, and there's the narratives there. But the important part about wrestling is that it's the subtle, constant, every day. It's not the festival. It's not the single. It's the daily parish life. Mm-hmm. It's the daily parish life of the Church of America. And there I mean, isn't I pr- another I probably example. knew more people as a, a teenager, at least, that that planned their schedule around Monday Night Raw than they did around church or anything like that. I mean, and the fact that it's, you know, the fact that Monday Night Raw is the promotion that we're talking about mm-hmm. and that it's like, it's Monday, I mean, and Monday Night Football, right? And the civic, the civic religion of the United States, the day that is given over to the United States, oh, it's got to be Monday night. Right, it can't be the weekend because that's not for We're the busy, United States. Yeah. Because there's no well, there's no labor. That's the day that you don't give to the to the United States. It's this is the day that gets you started for the week. It is interesting that the, the working man's um, like I guess the what you might call the WWE holiday is the beginning of the working man's week in this thing that's supposed to reflect who we all are in some way. Because it gets him fired up and motivated to go to work and do the uh, the thing to participate in the civic environment. That's what it's doing. It's getting him, it's, because otherwise, Monday is like dreaded, you know? But now you don't dread Monday. And it's not even that this, this is planned out. It's that like, that's just, of course, the day that it has to be. It's so true. Because right? I, mean, I, I literally looked forward to Mondays uh, in, in high school. And it, that is not the typical thing of non-wrestling fans. They're like, oh, God, Monday. Are you kidding me? Raw's on tonight. Like, Stone Cold is going to kick his boss's ass. I mean, that's amazing. So think about the benefit that that gives to the American culture of the 9 to 5, 40 hours a week, right? That it's like, if you could get your population to not dread Monday, that's so what a benefit to your civic society that is based upon Monday as the start of the week. And they're already excited for Friday. So now we just got to work on, just get through those three days in the middle and we got them. We got them in our, in that's, our capitalist that's loop. It. That's it. And also it's like, well, they had Sunday. And you know, sun, they can still give Sunday to God. That's the thing, right? They can still give Sunday to their God. But on Monday, give the pinch of incense which was always the thing that the Romans, I mean, that's the, the Roman experience with the Christian church is that they were always like, no, 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 you can go ahead. You can go ahead and worship. We're not saying you can't worship your God. What we're saying is come to the, te- to the temple, the pagan temple that is the civic religion and give the pinch of incense to the idols. It's like, we don't have a problem with you being a Christian. We have... 
Today's episode is sponsored by Fox and Sons Coffee. And let me just tell you, Stephen of Fox and Sons, he is not just an advertiser. He has been a supporter of this show from day one. And frankly, since before day one, because he came over with me from the old Lions and Liberty days. So true a fan of the show. He started this company, Fox and Sons, out of his love for coffee and really out of wanting to further bond with his sons and spend time with him, just like he shared time with his father drinking coffee. Uh, He also gets to teach his sons about entrepreneurship and business through this endeavor. So I'm so happy to have Stephen and really his whole family, the Fox and the Sons, the whole gang as supporters and sponsors of this show. Not only that, his beans are so high quality, fresh. Look, I just got two new bags right here. I got the Mexican and my favorite, the Den Blend Dark. The beans are super high quality, fresh and sourced from small organic farms, fair trade. None of this GMO garbage. They're all small batch roasted. This is high quality stuff. Subscriptions are by far the best way to get your coffee. I have a couple subscriptions going, uh, but that is the way to go. You never run out that way. I never run out. I always have my supply of Fox & Sons. So I want you to head over to foxandsons.com. Put in your order today. They ship fast. They ship now through the end of February. Also, by the way, you're going to get free shipping on any order over $37.99. By the way, while you're there, use discount code MCS to get 18% off any order over $25. Stephen Fox is a great man, a great friend, great supporter of the show. I encourage you to check out his coffee over at foxandsons.com. I have a problem with you saying, because I'm a Christian, I'm not going to give allegiance to the civic society, which is indelible from the civic religion. And, and for us to think that these patterns somehow left us, like they, they can't leave. Like they, they, it's, it's impossible for them to, elite, to leave. If you try to dismiss them, they will just emerge in another way that you, that's, that's unexpected, but that still fulfills the need because they emerged in that way in the, in the first place. Maybe we can transition this conversation about sort of wrestling, wrestling as a mythology into some of the sort of greater trends that are happening economically and with uh, sort of the, mm-hmm. the current models that we have. And I, I'm curious, like, how much how much of do you view this Netflix WWE deal, the, the idea of bringing in wrestling uh, to the sort of the, the overall trend of, of big tech taking more and more and more of the pie uh, to, you know, take that wherever you will. But what's, what's the connection you see there? Well, it had to. Like the thing is, this had to happen, right? Because you you need to have this mythology. You need to have it. Uh, again, what, what I'm saying is like, none of these things are planned. It's just, it feels right. And I don't think that anybody seeing the story, whether you're a wrestling fan or not, just anybody who has any sense and is following in any way sort of the trends in in culture and in media and everything, I think there were probably a lot of people looking at that and saying, you know, and I think it was what five hundred million dollars over for a ten for ten years with the opportunity to extend for another ten, which would yeah. probably be even more money. Um, they're getting right now, I believe it's twenty five million dollars a year or so. No, twenty five. What is it? Two hundred and fifty. I think it's now five, it's 250 five, a year. It's a five billion dollar deal that Netflix is doing. Let's get the numbers right. Five billion dollar deal that Netflix is doing. It's a ten year deal, so it comes out to five hundred million dollars a year. Right now, that show is getting two hundred and fifty million dollars a year from NBC Universal to be on USA. 
where it's been for how long has it been there? Forever. Since the beginning, right? Since the it's, very it's, beginning, it's the only yeah. place it's ever been is USA. Since the mid '80s, and I mean USA at the time that it came on the USA Network was one of the biggest networks, if not the biggest network. Right now, who watches that? You know, and it's not that wrestling has become less popular. If anything, it's probably the only reason that people even watch USA <laughs> at this point, right? So NBC Universal has this property. Netflix is doubling the doubling it which is great because they're already producing the show. There's not a whole lot more that they need to do to be able to produce it for Netflix, right? They're going to upgrade some of their equipment. They're probably going to maybe give some raises to some people, you know? But besides that, there's not a whole lot that they have to do. So it's very, very profitable in that regard uh, for them to make this move. But I'm sure a lot of people looked at this story and were like, oh, WWE isn't already streaming live? On some right. platform, right? Right. It's shocking like, in a way. It's it's a it's you can what get I call it next day on Hulu and kind of thing, but the live is valued live. for a reason. Well, the live is important because it's participatory, right? It's a it, participant. It's it's meant to be viewed live. It was always viewed live. It didn't start as TV, and still to this day, there's lots of shows that are not broadcast at all. Well, it used to be too. The TV, the only purpose of the TV was to get you to go live. It was just like, That's let's just it. record some stuff, do some promos, have some silly matches, and then we'll kind of promote the real show that we want you to go pay money and, and come see in person. And and most of the most, if not all, of the smaller regional promotions, which there are many, uh, those are you know maybe they're streamed recordings archives later on their YouTube channel or something. But some it's, are it's a here live and there. Performance. Yeah. Some of them have. You know? There's still promotions that have DVDs that you you would buy. Some of them are, sure. are hanging on. Sure. I mean, but it's it's meant to buy your ticket, you know, and go. And this is the place where these the people who will eventually, some of them, a small percentage, will eventually wind up on the TV shows. This is where these guys, you know, are getting their start and working it out, the farm leagues and whatnot. So this is, I think, this is a, a gigantic move. Of course, it had to go to Netflix. I mean, what we have is, I mean, this is the techno-feudalism thing, right? We have the feudal lords. The, the lords of our culture now is big tech. So of course, big tech has to be in control of this very, very important means of cultural consensus for the civic religion. And I would argue that whoever has control, whoever has control of the WWE narrative, a real argument could be made that that person has an undue influence on the outcome, the future political outcomes of the United States. Well, so like, interesting let's not forget you say Donald that. Trump, Donald Trump wrestled in WrestleMania. Well, so interesting, right. And so interesting you say that because... Uh, the Rock, like I mentioned, recently became the. He's essentially the chairman of the board. I don't think they're calling him that, but he's taking Vince McMahon's spot, and and he's it's a pretty powerful position. You could argue he might be one of the most powerful single people in WWE. One of one hundred percent. And uh, he recently had a show over the last couple of years called Young Rock. I watched it once just out of curiosity. Uh, but the premise of the whole show is that the year is twenty thirty two, and The Rock is running for president. And he's telling these old stories of his, you know, of when he was a teenager growing up in wrestling and all that. But I find Which that means so he's interesting. He's going to run for president, Mark, in 2032. Obviously, <laughs> that's what that means. Right? Yeah. It's this is it's programming. Sometimes the you know you don't need a whole you know three hour conspiracy video to break it down. Sometimes it's as obvious as that they're just going to put it right there and tell you what's happening. 
And wrestling is obvious in that way. And that's one of the, the, one of the beautiful things about it. You know, the other thing to consider here of what this is going to mean, I honestly believe that it's going to bring in and entirely, and the rock is the rock being there as part of this is like the timing is perfect. And Vince exiting in the way that he is in ignominy, right? Is is part of it. This is all part of it. It's go, this Netflix deal is going to bring in a whole new crop of viewers. Watch how popular this is. It's going to shock people. People who have been poo-pooing wrestling are going to discover it for the first time because, of the, because it's on their Netflix. For the first time. The other thing about it that's going to change, and I promise you this, that's going to change, is net, um, Monday Night Raw, since I, I think for about the last 20 years on USA, has been TVPG rated. They, I think they went back to PG in, I want to say, 2008, 2009, after they'd had a period okay. of, of slightly more mature the Attitude era. During yeah. the Attitude era, they were at the, at the TV door now. 14, yeah. right? So right. it's TV PG. Guess what? It ain't going to be TV PG on Netflix. No, it's already... Because, I mean, you had The Rock dropping F-bombs on this uh, NBC press conference because that was on Peacock. But yeah, that's the same thing you're going to see once they're, once they're off. It's Well, because you just look at what Netflix popular series. Squid Game is TVMA. Stranger Things is TV 14. Now I'm, I'm getting frightened of the, the, the crossovers I might see in some of this stuff, you know. Squid, squid Game match in WWE wouldn't shock me. I, I, it, it's it's going to happen. Because they're, look, they're shameless promoters. The WWE is notorious for doing this. They've been doing it forever. They had a right? Slim Jim-based match. I mean, what more is there to say? <laughs> I'm saying. So... The question is, what happens when the shackles are off of them in terms of how provocative and salacious the content can be? I can't imagine and, it being more salacious than the late 90s. People. I saw things when I was a teenager on wrestling that I, I was not allowed to see anywhere and somehow it got to me through the wrestling. Well, but, uh, you know, teenagers now have a much higher tolerance than, than the 90s. I mean, teenagers now were raised on hardcore, free hardcore porn on right, their right, phone. Right. Right. So to capture the audience that they want to capture, the things that they're going to do. And I'm, what I'm saying is that the feed, what the feedback loop of this looks like, people don't understand. Because they're going to play out a narrative. Believe me, they're going to play out a narrative that has all kinds of social, political, and all of these implications of who is the good guys and who is the bad guys and who are the gods and who are the heroes. And they're going to play it out in a way that they can't play it out on USA. That they could only play it out on Netflix. And then to understand that like, okay, the same way that my generation was raised on it and it affected us is the same, like to the same degree or greater, it's going to affect a global generation. Because Netflix is everywhere. Yeah. Well, so many people this around the world. The USA network is not. So many people are getting raw for the first time in their lives around, like first almost time. everyone has Netflix, whereas there was pretty much no international distribution of raw prior to this. Imagine what that means. Because the, the ability to capture attention, it's with wrestling, it's, I, I mean, these guys are masters. And basically what you're doing is you're opening them up to an audience that has no natural defenses to it. 
Like Americans have natural defenses to wrestling. Because we've been, we've, we, we've been like, like I say, it's the soup that we're in. But the rest of the world has no natural defenses. When you see, say defenses, do you mean like in terms of being able to maintain that, that little bit of separation between yes. the, the illusion of it? And not, not only that, but just the, I'll give the example like this. I lived in Vegas for 10 years, right? I'm not much of a gambler, period. But still, the... I had gone into those big Vegas casinos so many times that the things that were masterfully designed to capture the attention and thus the money mm-hmm. of the person who just showed up in Vegas for the first time, I was desensitized to. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So you understand kind of what I'm saying? Yeah. As someone who's been to Vegas a number of times, I know exactly what you're saying. And who thinks? You, you, who also yeah. thinks I'm aware of, of all the traps and yet I still... Find it's myself getting pulled. Well, okay. Well, there is this pretty lit. Okay. I mean, it's it's a, it's a fight, and that's if you are armed and in, in some way. I'm, I'm sure many people I, are that's not. That's what I mean. A 21 so year old are, showing up in Vegas for the first time is not ready for any of that, and they're the ones that get taken for a ride. So now imagine somebody who's never seen wrestling before, and they run across it the first time on Netflix, and they're running across it in 2024 after literal generations of perfecting the attention capture. It's curtains for them. They have no defense against that. And, and people are not, they, it's not registering. It's not registering to them of why $5 billion is cheap. Mm-hmm. It's so cheap. <laughs> it's such a steal. And it's just for one show. It's not like they acquired WWE. I mean, they just merged with TKO. This is for one show. And I do imagine okay. once some other contracts run up, like the, I think there's this deal with Peacock. I mean, that's all going to go to Netflix too, I'm certain. 100%. 100%. And, and it won't be the only show. If that show's successful, there's going to be more. There's going to be spinoff stuff. They're going to follow certain characters around. There's going to be reality shows. There's going to be movies starring these guys. Of course, they're going to put them in the movies. Right, they're promoting them on. They're promoting them on this thing. They're going to put them in in feature films. That oh Netflix, man, Netflix the, produces the made the made films. for Netflix movies are going to be full of, of these guys, full of them. Like this is the people are not fully processing. Like again, six of the last ten years, the mo- the highest paid actor in Hollywood was a wrestler. Okay. You think Netflix doesn't know that? You think Netflix that's producing movies doesn't know that? Right? What's, what this means is people can't fathom what this means in terms of being able to direct the culture. The power that Netflix has achieved for $5 billion. So do you think that it, it is going to become something that is even more so, uh, maybe more on the nose, uh, in a sense, going to be pushing culture and trying to shape it in a different direction than we've seen it do so to this point? Mm-hmm. But we don't know what that is. That's the, I mean, that's the X factor. Like, we don't, we, we don't know what that is. And I think that it really, it really makes, like, Giannis Varoufakis's, um techno-feudalism a very important concept for people to understand because there's going to be people watching right now and they're going to jump into the comments and they're going to be like, well, it's about big corporation money and profits and they're going to do it all for profits. 
Well, you don't really understand. These companies aren't after profits anymore. Big tech isn't about profits anymore. They don't need to be about profits. All the money printing is, these companies don't make profits. Twitter's not profitable. Why did Elon Musk buy a company that had not been profitable? Because you don't have to be profitable in the new environment. The new environment is about you have a share price and you have a whole bunch of shares and then the government prints money and you wind up with people buying your shares up because they have cheap free money, the bank, the investing uh, class. And, and where do you put it? The people with the biggest market up. caps because they're the safest. All right. And then your share, and then your price, your, your uh, market cap goes up, which means the price of all your shares goes up, which means you just made money by not generating any profit with your business. These companies aren't after profits. Right? They're after attention. It's the attention economy. We don't understand what the implications of this is. We don't understand it. We've not experienced it. When you say that we don't understand it, does does anyone understand it? Do, do no. even the people doing it understand it? I guess is, is no. my point. Is it is it uh, something that's even it's it's um. Is it sort of taking, will it take on a life of its own, I guess, is, is kind of what I'm saying. It, al- it already has. I mean, because any public corporation at this point, there's a, there's a book called The Number. It's maybe 20 years old. But it's even talking about the fact that, and I mean, this is one of the first things my spiritual father, one of the, the first, when, when he was beginning my catechism, and I said, okay, I, I want to learn more about this. He said, if we're going to have a relationship, here's a talk from like 2018 that, about powers and principalities. And one of the things that he talks about in there specifically is he's using the example of the CEO, the corporate CEO. And it's like, is the corporate, what is the corporate CEO doing? And it's like, well, the job of the corporate CEO is not to be them. The job of the corporate CEO is to, to represent something like a high, the high priest of the corporation, whereas the, where the corporation is an entity, which it actually is, corp, body. It's a, it's a person. It's a legal person, right? So you are the representative and the decision maker, the executive decision maker. You're the brain, the executive faculty of this entity that is a bodiless entity, that is a legal person, that is working in the world. And what it's trying to do is it's trying to increase its share price this quarter, three months. That's all it's trying to do. That's its whole function. And so it's like, the things that you will do, well, we saw it in 2020. If you're a pharmaceutical company, right? You may very well just poison an entire generation of people to get your stock price up over the next three months. Because it's just about this quarter, right? That's all it is. Mm -hmm. It's just this quarter. And that's why I say, we can't know. Because we don't, because these things have a consciousness. A corporation has a consciousness. And the group of corporations have a consciousness. And we know this because we'll say big tech wants to do this. Right, right. People, the people who will be like, oh, I don't know about these corporations having a consciousness, Vin. You're going too much. And then that same person will be like, you know, the the liberal left wants you to take your guns. (laughs) Yeah, what is that? And it's like, hmm? Hold the liberal left. What is it? Is it a person? Well, no, no, no. It's not them. It's bigger than them. 
And it's like, well, well, where is it? Draw it. What does it look like? And they'll do the same thing with big That's tech. That's such an interesting way to look at it. I mean, even just the saying the liberal left thing makes me think of, like, I know so many people on the left throughout my life that would never want to take my guns, for example. Like, they don't, they wouldn't. They don't, that's not what they want to do when they when we talk oh, one-on-one. but Mark, the liberal but, left but does. But them together, in, funneling the entity of the liberal left, will do that in a heartbeat. And they're exactly. different, they're all the, what makes it up, but it's, they act in a different way. And you see Mark Zuckerberg hauled in front of Congress, and you realize, oh, Mark Zuckerberg's not in control of Facebook. He looked like a hostage up there. I mean, it was something else. He's like, uh, Senator, we try to do, we try to, and they're like, you did, you did, you did. And you know what's interesting is he knows it wasn't him. Because it's not. It's a principality. It's a power and a principality. Meta is its own thing at this point. Right? It's gonna, if Mark Zuckerberg was to die, Facebook ain't going nowhere. Like Steve Jobs died. Where Apple still did, was there a glitch? Was there a moment where Apple f- stopped doing what it was doing? No. Because it's not, because it's not those people. Those people are replaceable. This, they do get absorbed uh, into the mythology, mythology, though. You know, they can they, they can do. be replaced and they reabsorbed. And now Steve Jobs is part of the mythology of Apple, but he has, has nothing to do with any of this. And it's not to say that they don't have a that they don't have an impact, right? Because it's like we would be crazy to say that Hulk Hogan didn't have a huge impact on WWF and on the future of it, or that The Rock did. But we would also be crazy to say that like the entity of the WWF wouldn't exist had Hulk Hogan or The Rock not been a part of it. It Hulk Hogan might be the only somebody. one people could argue for that it maybe have, would look so drastically different, but it would still exist for certain. Yeah. And, and that's only conjecture. Yeah. Because that, that, the assumption there is that some person wouldn't have inhabited the character that was required to do the thing that Hulk, and represent the thing that Hulk Hogan represents. It's almost like Hulk Hogan is a, is a role waiting to be fulfilled. And yes, it was yes. fulfilled by this person who was perfect for it in every way. But if he wasn't him, might have been the other guy with muscles, you know? And for people to understand, if you go and you look, I mean, it's not like, like, I love watching these, this raft of wrestling podcasts of the old wrestlers just sitting around and talking about it's, like the business There is no it. old wrestler that does not have a podcast. It's, it's hilarious. But they're fantastic. Like for, oh, so, yeah. for somebody who's been in the narrative creation business to see like, but the thing that they talk about with Hogan is they do talk about the fact that like, the role he's playing was a needed role that they were looking for somebody who could be X, Y, Z and Hogan fit the bill. And this is really like Vince McMahon, the mastery of Vince McMahon from everybody who has described him, especially the wrestlers who described their first encounter with him is like, he knew what characters would be needed in the show going on. And someone would come in and he'd be like, okay, your character is this. You could play, okay, he stinks. He's like, you know, he's like a beautiful mind. And we had a producer on our reality <laughs> show. He's the guy that, that sees that. like the plumbing outfit. He's like, all right, you're That's the plumber. Great. That's it. And he knows exactly how the plumber fits in with everybody else in the story. Right? So this is, um, there's, but that is to say, right? Why is that a reality? The reality is because the story exists. The ideal story, the narrative exists separately 
from the, the individuals who are involved. They're just inhabiting it. And then you have to ask, where does the story come from? Who made the story? Vince isn't making that story. He's, it's the story's being revealed to him. He's channeling the story. That's what he's a master of. But Vince didn't make the story. Go read Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey. Go read David Mamet, Three Uses of the Knife. You know, dramatists and, and people who study comparative religion understand. I mean, Joseph Campbell's book, Hero with a Thousand Faces, is exactly about that. He says the story, Jung, Carl Jung. He's like, no, no, no. The story is transcendent. It, it exists. It's eternal. And we are just, when we see the story executed perfectly, the experience that we have is the experience that you described. A transcendental religious experience. And that's why only wrestling, I think, can, can be as effective at it. Because, yes, in sports, you have that live experience, but they don't. Sports doesn't, doesn't capture the mythology in the same way. It doesn't bring you on that hero's journey. doesn't make you almost feel like you're the wrestler um, right there. And, you, and in, in a wrestling event, I mean, big or small, at some point, you feel like you are influencing the event. I mean, to the point of literally, like, I think you mentioned this when we were talking about this a few weeks ago. Like, at some point, you know, when Hulk Hogan would be down or he'd be in some move, he'd start shaking his arm and the crowd starts cheering him on and then his arm starts shaking more and eventually you realize, oh wait, we are lifting Hulk. Like, it's not Hulk Hogan's yeah. not winning this match. We're winning this match. We're raising him up and he's going to lift Andre the Giant because we gave him the power. And that's, I mean, that's the liturgical aspect of it. Right, so liturgy, liturgy means the work of the people. Right? So that's what, you, you, uh, uh, an Orthodox priest can't serve liturgy to no one. Like, he, he's not allowed to perform the ceremony if there's nobody there. Like, it must be particip participatory. And just the same way that, like, you could do, and I think people have tried to do promotions of, like, there's nobody in the audience and they're just wrestling and it's, like, on TV. Just oh, that was... Um, it just doesn't work. That ended up happening during the... Uh the thing COVID. uh yeah, yeah and thing. uh Whatever. yeah it was uh it, oh man it was brutal i mean it does not translate well Doesn't at all translate. part aspects of it were interesting because you they would do a lot they would make it a lot more cinematic and sometimes it would be interesting because they would have dialogue that you could hear and they did some things with it that made it interesting but in a car wreck kind of way i mean it's, it's un unwatchable without the crowd and that's the i mean that's it you know this is a special special thing and it has it, it's it, it's almost like you have to be willfully ignorant to not recognize it as religious in nature. Like to either, either willfully ignorant or just ignorant of what, what of religion, right? Of like what's going on in a in religious experience. And, and again, if it's a religion, then you have to say, what is it worshiping? If it's a religion, you have to say, what is it oriented toward? The thing that it is oriented toward, what is its God? And, you know, we're going to see, I think this Monday Night Raw is going to really reveal and expose uh, what is the current God of uh, the West, let's say. Nothing shows us who we are more than wrestling. I mean, that's why Steve that's Austin it. was the most popular character, maybe ever, and arguably, and sometimes, but at, at his absolute peak, I mean, wrestling was never as popular as when Steve Austin was at the top. Um, Hulk Hogan arguably did more, whatever, but I mean, I think that Steve Austin in 1997 was the most popular character because he mm -hmm. was 
he was everybody wanted to kick their boss's ass. I mean, it, I mean, and he got to do it. I mean, you couldn't mm-hmm. get you couldn't get something more perfect. Yes, I mean, and he, it is interesting to see like the difference between Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin in terms of how Americans think about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan's whole thing was that, and I mean, it was lost, I guess, by WWF, but Hulk Hogan's whole thing was that he was a, ro- a rocker. That was yeah, his, I mean, I mean, yeah, that was his yeah. character, right? Was that he was, I mean, and that was the, even the Hogan's rocking. It's not like he ever left it. To him, that was always still his character. I mean, he still rocks with the, the air guitar all the time. So, I mean, <laughs> to this I'm day. Saying. So, yeah. That, that was his, so that was like his character. And it's like, well, Cold War, 80s, you know, and he's coming up in the 70s too. It's like rock and roll, this sort of glammed up, shiny version of what an American is, right? And then you go to like the late 90s. And what is an American, you know, especially like middle America. Mm-hmm. And we're back in the sort of working class, dare I say, redneck, right? But, but not stupid. Not a, stu- not a stupid redneck. Mm-hmm. Like embracing the fact that he's a redneck and knows what's going on. Yeah. Steve Austin would routinely actually outsmart Vince McMahon's imagination. It wasn't, just, it wasn't always just brute force. All the time. No, it's, I mean, I think Steve Austin's character is one, of the, is one of the more just like naturally intelligent characters mm-hmm. that there was. He, it always felt like he knew what was going on better than anybody else, even if he wasn't like articulating it because he wasn't an intellectual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He really knew what was going on. And I think in the late 90s and carrying on to today, that's the... I mean, if you, if you look at sort of the right right now, if you look at what people aspire to be with sort of the, the Trump ideal, uh, the, the working class Trump ideal, that's what people aspire to be. They know what the conspiracies are. They know what the government's doing. They're not stupid. They're not naive. They're red pill. Steve, Steve Austin was the, pro, the pro, <laughs> protogenic archetypical red pill. He's the we're on to your shit guy. That's it. We know that you're you're manipulating things in the background and I'm not gonna and we and we're gonna be on to you and we're gonna take it out. Yeah. And that's and that's you know, so again, it's like it's you you can't the feedback loop, you can't just say that wrestling is reflecting. There's also this undercurrent, and it's usually the top star who is going to not just reflect, but who is going to then sort of amplify the the kernel of aspiration that is in the culture at the time and then work to amplify it. It's so interesting that you say like, well, like that's it, based on this top star and it's, it, it kind of makes, just makes me think of the actual current storyline because, it, and, it, and this is where they've blurred the lines so well that there are actually wrestling fans arguing about what part of this, what's going on is real and what's not because in the actual storyline, Cody Rhodes is like the biggest star right now and he's supposed to take out Roman Reigns. He won the Royal Rumble. He's on that path. Finishing his story. It's a whole thing. And then one day, The Rock just shows up on TV right after he got became the head of the board of, of TKO. And Cody basically just hands his WrestleMania moment off to The Rock. And it created this whole natural backlash. But within within a day or two, you saw WWE superstars even hashtagging it. So you know it's, it's actually, a, if it wasn't always a company-directed thing, it certainly became mm-hmm. one. And now the big now it's become the storyline where The Rock is actually the bad guy now because people are, real-life people are real-life mad that he took real life sort of and the character Cody's spot. So it's, 
And it's it's kind of drawn more interest than I, I've seen in a long time. So much of the interest and arguments being over what aspect of it is real and how much The Rock is really manipulating things in the background. And it's just, uh, it's something unlike, I, I wouldn't say unlike I've ever seen, but they're they're definitely doing it in a way that hasn't been done quite quite before. But think of how that, I mean, that's a direct reflection <laughs> of the anxieties in the culture right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially for young men. But w- because what the young men feel like, what does Jen? What, I what work are, my what ass Gen off. And, I do everything right. I, I get that, and then some asshole comes in and takes my promotion. Corporate, I mean, the corporate, the corporate guy up, here, this guy at the top who had all of the benefits, who knows who all the right family people, family background, who has all of the contacts, right? Who already has everything, and never, never mind that he also happens to be, you know, of a darker complexion, mm-hmm. and is a Hollywood elite. It really checks every box. I mean, every this is what I'm saying, dude. Mm-hmm. It's the civic religion, and there's just no way that Triple H or whoever. I mean, no one sat down and mapped it out to the extent that you are no. laying it out. No way. No, there's just that it, it just is playing out naturally because that's it's the reflection. Because it's the mirror. That's the it's a, because it's because they're inhabiting, they're they're involved in a spiritual activity. They are channeling. The, 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 the spirit, they're channeling the war in heaven, right? They're channeling the war between the gods. This is, it's, it's like the same way that the Greeks, see the ancients, the ancients understood this. You read like Homer, you read the Iliad and the whole idea of like Greece and, and Troy fighting each other. The whole idea with the Iliad is that the gods are above fighting each other, like using these soldiers as like, little puppets the whole idea is that it's it's a, a war of between gods right the gods of these city states warring against each other using the people as puppets and it's like that's real that's it's not it's we still read the iliad to this day because that's real to the greeks that was indistinguishable from reality that was how they understood the nature of the world in which they lived. And the thing is, we, what we've just missed is we still live it out, but we've, we've convinced ourselves that there's not gods up above. That's what we've left out. So we're missing, we're living out this piece, but we, we're, we're missing the piece that, that always existed and that now has been purposely hidden. We've convinced ourselves it's just a show. That's it. Pretty much. Which is what and everybody the thing says. Is, it is. It is just a show, but the question is, who's the audience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good, a good way, a good spot to wind it down. Uh, we're going to head over into the smoke-filled room and uh, see where else things go. It's always, uh, it's always an interesting time. But Cyprian, why don't you just uh, let everybody know uh, before I let you go where they can find, of course, the Royal Path. Anything else you want to plug or mention, feel free to uh, plug away. No, I I you, can't, you can't be found is, on next anymore. I know that. So sorry, cannot, sorry, folks. Cannot be found on next. I might be making a return for just one way conversations. I don't know. I'm praying on that quite a lot. Just a I, tweet. I, I, you should just I tweet. Just, do a tweet a month and get out, and then see, and see what happens. And then I come might, back to the comments. I might because I have some things I want to I want to share with people. But um, yeah, the royal path. You could find it on. I mean, everywhere. So you YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, whatever. Um, yeah, please go check that out. We're on a little bit of a hiatus because Father Turbo Qualls had a, a, a very nasty spill in the ice in Kansas City. 
really wrecked his leg bad and had to go in for surgery. But for those who do watch the show, um, the surgery went better than expected. They brought in an outside surgeon and everything. Um, and so he's going to be recovering. So the Royal Path will continue, uh, God willing. And uh, thank you to everybody who's, who supported. There was a lot of support that came in, both financial, prayer, and, and otherwise. And so thank you to everybody who did that. But go check out the Royal Path for sure. There's got to be, what, a year, year and a half of archive? This, I mean, there's plenty to go through if you're just finding it. You're not going to be short of content. 88 shows. There's 88 shows. So yeah, it's, a, it's, it's two, usually two-hour shows. So there's plenty. If you've never seen it, start at the beginning, go through. We'll be back by the time you're done. All right. Well, Cyprian, thanks so much for coming to the show. I'll see you in the smoke-filled room. Thank you, sir. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And remember, if you're listening here on the public feed, that means you're only getting about two-thirds of the conversation because every one of these interviews goes approximately 30 minutes longer in what is called the Smoke-Filled Room bonus segment. To get the complete version of every episode, just become a subscriber to The Mark Claire Show. You can do so on Patreon, on Subscribestar, on Rockfin. You can find all the links you need over at markclaire.com. That's markclaire, M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. Until next time, my friends, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Mm-hmm.